I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew's Gospel with me tonight, please. We're looking in chapter 14. Matthew number 14, if you have a copy of the Scriptures with you this evening. There's a wonderful sense of our Lord's presence in our midst tonight. I mentioned last evening, Lord, and never take for granted when the Lord comes and is gracious to meet with us and refresh us, remind us, restore us, do for us what he's doing in this room this evening. I'm appreciative of the good music tonight, all of it. That last song, my mind went back to a number of years ago now. 25-year-old man, empty, so needy, my home in trouble. My wife had left me, and I didn't blame her really as I think about it. I'd uh, got in touch with her just some days prior to what I'm thinking of. And I even begged her to come back. I said, I'll, I'll change. She said, I've heard that before. I can't live. I can't live like this. And we had just the one child then. She said, sometimes it's days. I don't know where you're at. I just can't go on like that. I said to her, if you'll give me one more chance, just one more opportunity, I promise you, it'll be different. She said, all right, I'm coming back. She'd gone back to her mother's about 150 miles away from where we live. So I made arrangements for her to come back. She came back on that day, and the very next day, God brought a man across my path at the army base. He looked me in the face, and he said, after talking to me a few minutes, he said, could I, could I just tell you something personal out of my heart to you? And I said, yeah. He said, God loves you. I don't know how to handle that. I don't know how to take it. I never had anyone just be that rather personal and pointed. And especially when I observed his concern for me. His eyes was filled with tears. He told me the story of Calvary's love. I couldn't hardly believe that somebody would love me unconditionally. Love me like I was, he said, just like you are. He said he proved it by his son died. He said the message of the cross is God saying to sinners like you and me. He didn't put me down. He put himself in the same position. He said the sinners like you and me, Calvary, is God saying I love you. And I did something about your sin. He said, it's paid in full. See, my idea of what little concept I had of how to get right with God, and it was not uh, the right concept, it's not true, but I felt like he had to try to straighten up, get on probation, do the best he could, you know. Or he said, God will change you, but he said, uh, that'll come after you receive Christ. I got saved on the 6th of April, 1030 at night. Just a few days after he talked to me, I didn't write there, he didn't press for a decision, but 
Going to the Army base, Fort Benjamin Harrison, just outside of Indianapolis, Highway 67 and Post Road. 9.30 on a Monday night, I prayed three words. I said, God save me. Well, in Texas a while back, a few years back, he took a little uh, dispute over that. He, he doesn't think you can get saved that quickly and that easy. I said, brother, you're too late. Tell me that. Amen. <laughs> I said, I was there when it happened. If you want to get saved and, and you believe God loves you and did something about your sin and gave his son and Jesus died in your place, it's a gift of God. It don't take long for you to receive a gift if you believe the giver is sincere and you want that gift. You can get it just like that. They used to tell Mr. Moody, he's one of my heroes of history, they used to tell him, he makes God's salvation plan too plain and simple. Mr. Moody said, I'm not making it any simpler than God made it. Mr. Moody said, some of you folks want to complicate God's plan. He took them to where that little Jew by the name of Zacchaeus, a little short fellow, couldn't see over the crowd, and he wanted to see Jesus. And he ran ahead and went up a tree, <laughs> sitting up on a limb there. Can you imagine? It's a sycamore tree. And our Lord came right to that tree and stopped. <laughs> Mr. Moody, you say, he knows what tree you up, amen. <laughs> He'll stop under your tree. He looked up and called him by name. You know what he says? That Zacchaeus, he came down and received the Lord joyfully. And Mr. Moody's point was this. He said, if you know anything about a sycamore tree, it don't take you long to get out of a sycamore tree. <laughs> Not a whole lot of rough bark on them kind of trees, amen. <laughs> Moody said somewhere from time he turned loose the limb and hit the ground. He got in. <laughs> Just before our Lord died for us four sinners, he took time out of dying, if you please, and looked at a dying thief over here beside him and said, today, You'll be with me in paradise. He just said, Lord, remember me. So if you're here tonight and you're not in the family of God, Jitch, you may be like me. I was a church member. I was a Baptist church member and my wife was a Roman Catholic church member. But it's not the Baptist church or the Roman Catholic church that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. And neither one of us knew Christ at that time. I'm glad to say someone said, what are you now? I'm a Baptist. He said, what's the difference? I'm a saved Baptist now. Amen. <laughs> I'm trying the best I can. I joined the church and I was an 11-year-old boy. They baptized me, but joined the church and getting baptized, that's right in its place. But that doesn't help you at all if you've never trusted Christ. And so if you're here tonight and you've never come to know him in salvation and know him for sure, at the close, we will try to make it clear tonight how you, too, know you're in the family of God. Matthew 14. I want to say this, lest I be remiss later. I said to my wife last night about the kind remarks of your preacher and how kind you folks always are to us here. She said to me, of all the churches that you go to, there's not a place that treats you like Mother Champion in Winston Drive, is there? And I agree with her. I want to say that to commend you, to honor your dear preacher. <clears throat> I don't have words to adequately say what I feel I ought to say. 
you don't know how, what a blessing you've been, what a blessing you are. And I, I look forward, I tell you, somebody asked me the other day, said, you don't, uh, you don't get to go to many camp meetings anymore since you're busy in revival work, do you? And I said, well, I get to go one the first week of uh, December every year. <laughs> and uh, he said, where is that camp meeting going on then? And I said, they call it Winston Drive Baptist Church. And I'm honest with you, you've you got that kind of atmosphere here. You don't have to walk somewhere, you know, a secluded place in the camp meeting to sing and rejoice and shout and just enjoy his presence. You, that's that's uh, my impression of your place here. So I'm grateful, lest I be remiss later. I just want to express my gratitude and thanksgiving to you for your, your kindness to me. I said last evening that I was... Probably sharing with you, sort of in a testimony form, something God uh, said to me personally before it ever became a sermon. And tonight it's even more so. I, I sort of thought earlier I might go a different direction, but then my time with him this morning, and again especially this afternoon, my time for uh, preparation for tonight, he made it to me, clear to me without any... Uh, any doubt in my mind, this is what he wants me to talk about. And uh, it was God's word to my needy heart at a, I guess, at one of the <clears throat> most difficult times that I ever walked through. I do not claim to hear God audibly like I hear you, but the truth of what I'm talking about tonight was something that God gave me. It was in a motel room. I, I passed that little town coming down here. Pardon me for being so personal. I about had to stop driving coming down, what is that, 57 through southern Illinois. I wept openly. I looked at the mile marker where I go off over there, and I said, every time I've come through there since that happened. I said, Lord, I don't have words to tell you what you, what you said to me, what you did for me in that little motel room over in that little town of southern Illinois. And the scripture for it tonight is a whole lot of different passages, but this one tonight is one that brings into focus something he said to my heart. It's recorded more than once in the Gospels, but we'll look at Matthew's account tonight. Chapter number 14, verse 22, and straightway, don't miss that, but that has importance to it. Immediately we would understand. Straightway, Jesus constrained, don't miss that word, that also has meaning leading into what I want to talk about in a minute. Uh, he had to urge them, if you please. The word constrained means, can be translated, he made them. They're a little reluctant to do this. Let me just sort of sit and paint the picture. They've gotten away, uh, sort of, Mark has him saying, come you apart and rest a while. Uh, they had no time even for any leisure at all. Pressure was on them. And the Lord said to his own, let's, let me paraphrase, let's get away for a few days. Let's just go into secluded place. And they did. 
But he couldn't get away from the crowds. He's so well known by this time. And the multitude saw him and knew where he was going. And they got in the little, little ship and, and they go across the body of water. And this, when he gets there, the multitude's there. And the disciples finally said, you better send them away. They're out here in this desert area, this uninhabited place. And there's nothing to eat out here. And they're going to be fainting. And our Lord said to them, you feed them. And then he took that little lad's lunch, and uh, he just finished feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with these five loaves and these two little fish. And then he says to his disciples, you get into a ship and let's go to the other side. They're a little reluctant. They've gone there for some rest. They have some plans. Their plans are being interrupted. And so he didn't make a suggestion. He, and I'm emphasizing it because it'll lead into something. He constrained them. He urged them. Even it can be he directed them he, with some pressure. So keep that in mind. Straightway or immediately, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now John tells us why this different action. See, when he fed the multitudes... John says Jesus perceived they're going to try to make a king out of him. They're going to put pressure on him, and they're going to uh, crown him as king. It's not time for him to be king. And he knows what they're about to do after seeing him perform that great miracle. And so he says to his disciples, you get in the ship, go to the other side, and now he's going to send this crowd away. And so they're gone now. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's the latter part, the latest part, and some have said the darkest part, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. They cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased, and they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. I want to talk to us this evening for just a little while on the subject, some assurances in the storm. A shelter in the time of storm. I was in a meeting in the latter part of April this year, and uh, my wife was able to go with me. We'd never been in this part of the country, so we had a few days that we could drive getting there. It took us four days, three days and a half to get there, and four on the way back. And it was on the West Coast. We preached just about as far off as you can go into Oregon before going into the upper part of the state of Washington. And uh, I turned the TV on, catching the evening news, and uh, CNN News was showing a picture that they had uh, taken in a live picture of when it was an action of the storm. 
in your neighboring city up east of you here, the city of Niceville. And I couldn't believe what we were what we were seeing. Uh, photographer had made the pictures and the station had gotten it. And I mean, right in the midst of the storm. Some of you recall the tornado. I had hit right downtown Nashville. I'm not sure it may have hit your area too, but Nashville's what they were showing. And uh, I preached in a church in that area. I hadn't for a while, but uh, in the past, and it showed in that community how it devastated some of the, the houses and, and the roof of the church and so on. But then the storm lifted and it dropped again and they told about and I said to my wife, the Lord willing, two weeks from now, that's the community that I'm going to preach in. And it's about 150 miles on from Nashville, on up in the upper end of, the, of your state, and, and uh, just where Kentucky and Tennessee state line up there in the Dale Holler area. And uh, you, you really couldn't get a hold of this if you had not been there and seen the devastation of that storm. And it probably didn't... Oh, probably three or four hundred feet this way, and just a section of it right out through that area. And I couldn't, I couldn't convey to you. I don't have vocabulary to tell uh, what I felt, what I sensed, what I saw. I just walking there. Pastor said, I, "I want to take you out here. It's not a large church. There are total attendance. There, uh, there would probably not be over on Sunday. I think there's seventy something, forty, fifty people there in the meetings through the week in that small community up in that part of your state." And they had seven families in their fellowship that, I, I mean, lost everything, lost every piece of furniture. They wasn't, a, they wasn't a piece of the material of the house anywhere near. Some of them found it. You couldn't believe the distance it was taken. I've said that to say this. We went out there, and uh, it's, he took me to this one particular place. Well, there was just a line of them, but this one particular place. And, and he said, uh, I want us to get out here. He, he won't mind this. Uh, we went in, and uh, down some steps were still there, and down into the basement area. He's a businessman in the community, uh, attached, uh, connected to the bank there. I think the manager of the, a branch of one of the larger banks in another city over there. And uh, he said, I want to tell you the story. In fact, they told me about it later, too, personally. He said he has a storm shelter in his house. He said the house was valued somewhere around 200000 so you could tell it's a large place there. Not one piece of anything. You couldn't believe it. I mean, it's a brick home. You didn't see a brick around there. Uh, no, no furniture, not even pieces of it. The appliances, even. I mean, just picked it all up. And trees, I'm talking about trees like this. And, and it twists them so it's just splinters. You couldn't believe it until you just looked at that. Now, we had some storm. We had a storm right in our community about the, the same time, and then another little later this year. We had more storms in the Annapolis area this year than any year of the 30-some years I've been there. But I've never seen anything like what I saw there, and I'm leading up to something. He said, he called me preacher, said, preacher, we had a storm, uh, he called it a storm shelter. And he said, the warnings. We knew it had hit down in Nashville, but we didn't have any previous warning that it was dropping in our area. He said we were in the house and didn't have time to get out. And he said, I said to my wife, we've got to get to the shelter. And he said, right there. Well, he can't talk about it, of course. He gets emotional. 
I mean, the, the walls, they had poured walls, uh, concrete poured walls around that particular area, and in other parts of the basement walls was, was block walls, and it picked up the blocks. I mean, right at the foundation floor, and the blocks were all gone. The only thing was there was that poured wall around, he called it his storm shelter. And he said, preacher, if we hadn't had a shelter in the storm, I shudder what would have happened to us. Happened in the middle of the afternoon. There was an amazing thing. There wasn't anyone killed. There was one person in a building that was injured rather seriously. Others, uh, that little section where it went down through there, uh, one or two families was uh, uh, fortunate enough to get out, and others were already gone, but that one family said, we had a shelter. We had a safety. And we were spared in the storm because of our shelter. Let me raise a question tonight. Do you have a shelter? Do you have some assurances tonight that you can... Rest on, lean back on, in the time of storm. I want to talk to us about some assurances tonight. There's five of them in this scripture that when the storms, when the winds come, when you find yourself wanting to go one direction and the winds are so contrary to you that they're beating against your little vessel, what do you do in the midst of a storm? Now, I'm talking at this point about the storms that come to the people of God. It calls tonight. I'm going to talk about a storm that's, that, that, that's hanging over us if we're not in the family of God and how we can be saved in that time. But at this point, I want to talk to us about some storms that come in our lives and some assurances that we can have when we find ourselves in this situation that these disciples are in. They're attempting to go across this little body of water, and the Bible says that the winds were so contrary that they tossed the, this little vessel was tossed to and fro in, in the midst of the sea, and the Scripture says the wind, really which says contrary, it was beating with force against the boat. Now, what do you do? You're in the midst of a storm tonight. Sometimes in the Bible, storms are, are referred to in the physical sense as it is here. Sometimes they're used in a symbolic sense. David, when it was Sunday morning, I made reference when David said, if I had wings like a dove, I'd fly away. Uh, David then goes ahead and says, I'd be at rest. He said, I would escape this windy storm and tempest. David was saying, what I'm encountering, it's like a, a storm, a tempestuous wind, something with a lot of force against me. And he said, I would be at rest, and I would escape the storm that's coming against me. He's using that, not literal winds, of course. David was under pressure and persecution. David was hounded. David was hunted for his very life was in jeopardy. And David was saying all of that. In that situation, David said, there's just one step between me and death. I mean, they were right on his heels. David said, oh, I'd like to be at rest. I'd like to escape this windy storm and tempest. You ever been in a storm? It's almost like asking, are you human? Amen. You've been in the faith any length of time. Listen, now let me throw you a curve, but uh, just because we are in God's family tonight, we're not exempt from the storms of life. He's never told us that. I never tried to mislead anybody. I was with a preacher some time ago, and I was to reflect on him. I don't know his motive, but he indicated to a person, if you'll get saved, all your trouble will be over. 
I said to him on the way without being offensive, I, I said, you know, I noticed you told that fellow if he'd get saved, he'd have no more trouble. I said, you really believe that? Oh, he said, no, not really. <laughs> I thought, if that's a fact in your life, I mean, I need to talk to you, amen. <laughs> no, the truth is, and I don't want to discourage you tonight, it's wonderful being saved, but you're not exempt from pressures and trouble and storms of life. And oftentimes the Bible, it talks about different storms. Sometimes there's those correcting storms. When a child of God is out of the will of God, he lets a storm come to correct them and get them back. Remember a man by the name of Jonah? He's God's man, but he didn't want to go God's way. And God said, all right, I know where you're at. And a storm was sent to him to correct him and bring him back. But you come to the New Testament, a man by the name of Paul, he was going God's way. You talk about a storm. It wasn't a correcting storm. Sometimes storms come as perfecting storms. They develop us. They cause us to grow. They cause us to become more Christ-like. He's got a message for us, and he'll lead us in the storm, and he'll come to us like he did here, and you can get to know him like you've never gotten to know him. I can be honest tonight. I I drove into that little town. Not I didn't go off the highway coming down here, but I have since then. Drove over there in that community. I wasn't in a meeting in that area. I just went and got a motel room. I was traveling. Pressures were so, and the burden was so. My wife knew where I was at, and but no one else knew where I was at. I just needed to be alone with God. I drove over there and parked in front of that little old motel not long ago. I said, Lord, I don't have words to tell you what I feel I need to tell you. Could I say it without being boastful? He came to me in that room. I got to know him in a way I'd never known him. I found out something about him that I hadn't known through the years of, of teaching his word and preaching to other people. Oh, but with the same breath, let me hasten to say, oh, it was painful. It was difficult. I expect my wife would agree with me tonight. Probably the hardest, hardest time we've ever went through in our life. And yet it's just dark. And as the scripture said here, as I was reading it, the Lord hadn't come to them. And they was all alone. And the more they seemed to roll. And when you compare scriptures, the Bible says they were toiling in the rowing. There was such pressure on them. And the winds was contrary. They not wanting to go this way. And the wind pushed them back. But they got to know him like they hadn't known him. They fell at his feet and worshipped. And you know what they said? Of truth, thou art the Son of God. You're in his will tonight and you find yourself in the midst of a storm. Don't fret over it. Don't get that out of shape. Don't get bitter. Don't blame God. The enemy will come to you if you're going through a hard place tonight. And especially if you love God and you're in God's will. The enemy will whisper to you and say to you, where's God at? God's not a good God or he wouldn't let that happen. And the devil is a liar and he's the father of the lie. He originated the lie, the Bible says. But you believe me when you're in the midst of a trial. You believe me, especially if you're God's child. And if you're going the direction he told you, that's why I kept emphasizing. They're not out on their own. He sent them out there. He constrained them. And he said, you go ahead of me. A fellow said to me the other day, preaching, he said, Brother Hurt, you reckon the Lord knew that storm was coming? <laughs> I said, what do you think? Omniscient God that knows everything about everything. He's never had to learn anything. He's never forgotten anything. He knows everything about everything that could be known. Of course he knew. And he had a reason for it. 
And he sent them ahead of him. Well, what do you do when you find yourself in a storm? Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes they're financial. Sometimes they're emotional. Sometimes they're, they're relational. You've got somebody you're related to tonight and you love and they're in trouble. I tell you, it's your burden. I think the burden is more intense in your heart when your children are in trouble, your grandchildren are in trouble. I think the burden is more intense than if it was on you personally. Does he know? I mean, you're trying to do your best. You're in God's will. You love God. You're not running from God as Jonah did, so dismiss the thought of a correcting storm. Perhaps it's a perfecting storm. Maybe God wants to perfect our faith tonight. Maybe he wants to increase our dedication to him tonight. Could be just used in it tonight to make it better. I mean, the trial of our faith is precious like the, the fire when, when the precious metal, the, the gold in the fire, it never hurts the gold. It makes it more precious. And he said, the trial of your faith, your faith becomes what the gold becomes. The dross, the, the infirmity and impurity is burned away when you go through a trial. But in the midst of the trial, we tried to identify the child, but what do you do in the midst of them? Let me suggest five, what I call five principles you can pillow your head on tonight, five assurances that will give you a safety, a shelter. You don't have to push panic buttons. You don't have to get bitter. You don't have to make everybody else upset. You can just, you can just go right ahead calmly through this crisis time, through this trouble time. You say, where are they at? Let me give you five words in these words, and I'll, I'll develop them a little bit. But let me just, you may just want to jot the word down. Number one is the word providence. Number two is the word prayer. Number three is the word presence. Number four is the word power. And number five is the word promise. And around those words, I'm going to make just a simple suggestion, and I'll call them some principles that you can pillow your head on tonight, some assurances. Something you can be aware of, just as sure as you're aware of your name tonight. You're in a storm, financial, physical, emotional, relational, whatever nature of the problem or the trial that you find yourself in tonight, and you're in the family of God, and you're in the will of God as far as you know, you're not rebelling against God, you're not running from God, you're not inviting the chastening of God in your life, Best you know, you're surrendered to his will. Then what are the assurances? Number one, the first assurance, you can say this, his providence has placed me here. I mean, these disciples in the midst of the storm, out in the midst of the sea, in the middle of the night, and yea, toward the latter part of the night. But keep in mind, he constrained them. He urged them. He placed them there. Not of his choosing. You ever been in the midst of a heartbreaking experience? You knew you were in God's will? Something that you couldn't do a thing about? Something that it wasn't you didn't cause? And yet the pressure's on you? The burden's on you? The storm winds is beating against your little vessel? One of the assurances that you can have, according to this passage of Scripture, you can pillow your head on the assurance, His providence has placed me where I'm at. You wouldn't have chosen it, but God didn't keep you from there. Since He's a sovereign God and everything's under His control, He has permitted you to be where you're at tonight. And you can pillow your head and say, the providence of God 
has placed me where I'm at. Somebody says, Brother Hurt, what do you mean providence? Well, we use the word rather loosely sometimes. I think sometimes we use it without even giving thought to the word. It's a blessed word, and a more blessed truth it brings into focus. It comes from two words. The first part, pro, means before, and the last word, uh, part of the word, it's our word, video, to see. And you put it together and pronounce it providence, it simply means to see the something beforehand. It's God going ahead of us and looking after something. It's God going before of us and making sure of something. It means to see beforehand. Abraham, God's testing his faith to see if, if he's still first in Abraham's life. Abraham's been blessed with a, with a wonderful gift from God, and God wants to find out if that gift has gotten in the way of the giver. And so he says to Abraham, take that gift that I gave you, Isaac, your son, and take him up on a mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham got up promptly, and he's traveled three days. Now he's at the place where God says, take this boy I gave you and put him on the altar. And Abraham is all set with his hand up and going to plunge a knife into the heart of his son. And God speaks out of heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham, now I know. Let me paraphrase it. Now I know I'm still first in your life. Now I know you're obedient. Now I know you trust me. And the point is this. You know what he said? Do though, do no harm to your son. And behold, he looked, and behind him there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And God said, take that ram and offer him instead of your son. How'd that ram get there? How'd he just happen to be there at that very moment? Abraham's going up this side of the mountain, and God, who is control of everything, he said to a ram over on the other side, come on, I need you get up here. And had him caught his horns right there at that time, someone said, oh, what a coincidence. More than that, it's providence. It's God going ahead. It's God looking after something before Abraham got there. And in the nick of time, God's providence placed Abraham there in obedience to God. God's providence met his need. Providence means guidance. I like what our brother, I smiled, I even laughed. I've had to try to work on a car. God knows what I try to work on one. I need, I need guidance. Amen. Divine systems. And I like how our brother put it tonight. Oh, guidance. Have you sensed his guidance? Have you seen him at work? I've turned the verse down and gripped me in the Psalms a bit so ago. David's referring to himself. As the king, and notice what he says in verse 3 of 20, 21st Psalm. Listen, he's talking to God. Thou preventest, that means you go before, prevent, to go ahead of time. Thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. David's saying to God, you've prevented me. You've gone ahead of me. And David said, you've blessed me with the blessings of goodness. When I get there, when I need something, you already have it there. Oh, I tell you tonight, God's gone ahead of us. We didn't have anything to do about where we'd be born in this blessed land of America. We didn't have anything to do about into which family we'd be born. I had this on my mind. I was talking the other day and I made some notes. I went by to see my, my mother. Mom's not well. Mom, my doctors have told us she could slip away from us any time. With that in mind, I, I talked about God presenting me with the blessings of goodness. I said, Mom, I have nothing to do with you being my mother, but I tell you, if I could have, I've chosen you to be my mom. My sweet mother, God bless her, she was kind to me. 
Did you know that's the providence of God going ahead of you? Putting you in a family for somebody to love you and care for you? You're in a church that uh, uh, cares for you and loves you? Did you know that's God's benevolence? That's God's providential care? You're the mystical storm tonight. You can rest assured with this blessed assurance if you're God's child and God's will. This storm didn't take God by surprise. Your broken heart hasn't slipped up on Him. It's not something He's not aware of tonight. And if, if you're in His will tonight as His child, He has permitted you to be where you're at tonight. I didn't say He always causes everything, but He permits you to be there. And you can say His providence has placed me there. Number two, there's a second. Not only his providence places me here, and that's a blessed assurance, but number two, notice what it says. After he, he constrained them to get in this little ship and take off to the other side, when he sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. You can have this assurance when you're in the storm. His providence places me here, but his prayers protects me here. You know, he's on the mountain praying tonight. I can put it like that. He ever lives, intercede for the people of God. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's ascended and he's seated tonight. I copied this Mark's account. I like how Mark gave this, this thought when he said he was up on the mountain praying. They're out in the midst of the sea. You know what Mark has them saying? Mark says he saw them toiling and rolling. Mark indicates not only he's up there praying, but he has his eye on them. He sees them. He's observing them. They're right in the midst of trouble. But his eye is on them. You know, tonight he's praying for you, watching you. He sees you tonight. I preached a sermon. I think I preached it here a couple of years ago. Remember Hagar over in the first book of the Bible, the 16th chapter, and she was all alone standing by a well. And when God spoke to her and called her name, she said, Thou God seest me. And the name the well, Berlai it means the well of the living one who sees me. And more literally, it means the well of the one who lives and he has his eye on me. You know, this mighty God we're talking about tonight, this God who created everything, he's observing you tonight. He sees you tonight. He knows your name tonight. He knows your need tonight. If you're here lonely, he knows that. If you're here with a broken heart, he knows that. If you're here in the sense of need of any type or nature tonight, there is someone in a position that he sees you and he knows you tonight. And child of God. Oh, rest your head on that blessed assurance. Not only his providence places me here, his prayers protects me here. He sees me right where I'm at. I was in Maryland, in the state of Maryland, in a meeting, and I went into a home, and they had uh, some little deals. You see them on the refrigerators, little little statements, you know, those things. They, they, they stick up on the refrigerator. One really got my attention. And uh, uh, it uh, says his eye is on the sparrow. And he sees you too, you old buzzard. <laughs> well, I'm glad his eyes on the sparrow. And some of us old buzzards, he sees us too, amen. I told him, I said, I've heard Ethel Waters sing the song. I don't think anyone could sing that song like she could sing it. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. Oh, the one who sees that sparrow tonight, 
Jesus said he so watches a little sparrow, and he talks about when one of them falls in death, God observes the fall of that little sparrow. And he said, how much more important are you than a little insignificant sparrow? God sees us tonight. God knows us tonight. Assurance tonight, not only his providence places me here, his prayers protects me here. And there's a third assurance, his presence comes to me here. Look at verse 25, the fourth watch of the night. That's the darkest part. That's the last part. Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Oh, if you permit him, don't shut him out if you're in the storm. I talked to a man in California not long ago, and I just, out of gratitude, I said, I try to express gratitude. I've never met you. You wouldn't know me, of course, but you've been a help to me. I said, your tapes, I heard a tape. I've read something that you, you had to say. He's an aged man. He's a man who speaks with, with an accent. He's British. I said, Doctor, I just wanted to call you. I found out that you was in the States. It really helped me as a young preacher. And he said, uh, he called me Pastor. He said, Pastor, he said, attitude is the name of the game. He said, you can, you can have God's blessing, you can shut him out. Don't have to be out living in some wicked sin. It's your attitude, he said. It's your approach, it's, your, it's that inward disposition he's talking about. And if we're not careful, especially in a storm, storms have a way of getting us in the wrong spirit, the wrong attitude. And when it comes to, possessed with self-pity or ill will, and feel like we didn't deserve this, and why did this have to happen? And if we're not careful, when he wants to come to us, our attitude keeps him from coming to us. And so the name of the game tonight is that dear man of God said, and he's with the Lord now, I'm sure, because it's been a few years ago when I called him. He said, preacher, remember, attitude is the name of the game. He comes to me. The third, the fourth blessed assurance, I said, number one, the assurance that you can have in the storm. His providence places me here. His prayers protect me here. His presence comes to me here. And number four, his power sustains me here. Look at verse 27. Straightway Jesus spake to him after getting there. He said, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. You let me paraphrase that without injuring the truth. You can check me in any reliable word study. You know what he literally said to them? And I know it's translated, and I, I, I do not dispute this, and I'm not trying to improve it, of course, but a literal rendering. You know what he literally said to them? He said, be of good cheer. I am. I am is the title of deity. He just said, I am. He said, it translated, it is I. He said to them, I am. That's one of the names for God in the Old Testament. You remember when Moses, God told Moses, said, you go down and tell my people that their God said to, that sent you down here. And Moses said to God, behold, when I come to the children of Israel and say, the God of your father sent me, and they say, what's his name? What shall I say? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. <laughs> When you know, the preacher said the day, Brother Hurt, that sounds like an incomplete sentence to say, I am. And stop at that. I said, well, brother, if you completed that statement, made a complete sentence out of it, you'd limit God. See, what God is saying is, he's not limited by space or time. He's always in the present tense. He didn't have to say, tell him, the God that used to be or shall be, I'm the present tense God. See, I have to talk in tenses. Last week, where was I at? I'd tell you where I was at. This week, I'm here, the Lord willing. Next week, I'll be in Kentucky. See, I can't be in three or four places at once. So I have to speak in past tense, present tense, and future tense. But God doesn't have to do that. 
It's always eternal present with God. There is no past to God. There is no future to God. It's always present tense. One country preacher said, it's always right now with Him. <laughs> and I like that. See, we measure time, past, present, and future. When you get out of the realm of time, eternity doesn't know any such thing as time. Everything that's going to happen is happening. Oh, you said I don't understand that. I'm glad you don't. Amen. That's, that, that's the infinite God we have tonight. He transcends time. He transcends space. He goes beyond both of them. And he said, Moses, you go down there and tell the people, I am that I am. And it's translated over 6,000 times in the, in the Old Testament, the word Jehovah. Jehovah is I am. And when Jesus would say I am, the Jewish people of his day, they accused him of blasphemy. But at least eight times in John, he said, I am the way, I am the door, I am the resurrection, I am the bread of life. Thank God tonight for this powerful God. I tell you, the one who created everything, the present tense God, he can sustain me in my midst of storm tonight. Have you ever really pillowed your head on that blessed assurance that God who is creator God is the one who comes to you tonight? I close. I said this five assurances. One, his providence places me here. Two, his prayers protects me here. Three, his presence comes to me here. Four, his power, uh, his power secures me here. And then five, his promise assures me here. Somebody said, Brother Hurd, I really don't see promise. Well, go back where we started. Notice what he said to him in verse 22. He said, you get in the ship and go before me to the other side. One dear black pastor up in our city, Dr. Fields, he, I've heard him preach out of the, the part of the scripture that talks about the storm that I was preaching from Sunday morning where he's asleep on, on a, back in the back of the boat. They awake him and said, don't you care we perish? I've heard Dr. Reuben Fields in his unique way say, if the Lord says we're going to the other side, <laughs> you're not going to go out in the middle and drown, he said. You know, he's promised us we're going to make it. And then when you read the verse I didn't read, look at verse 34. Verse 33 of this chapter says, They fell at his feet, worship and sin of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And verse 34 said, When they were gone over. <laughs> That's where they started to go over. Did you know you can place your head tonight on the blessed assurance of his promise? His promises assures you right where you're at tonight. You say, how do you know you're saved? Well, i got inside information. I couldn't convey that to you, but to the information that I can tell you why I know I'm saved tonight, he gave me a word, and I've obeyed the word, and I've done what he told me to do, and his word tonight is utterly trustworthy. And I tell you, he is God who keeps his word. You're unsaved in this room tonight. Let me tell you again where I started. God loves you. He loves you so much, Christ died and paid your debt and paid it in full. And he just simply says, if you'll come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call, that verse was quoted a while ago, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you know that's a promise tonight? And he keeps his promises. His promises uh, you can be assured of. You see, heads are bowed and eyes are closed and God's people moment of quietness and just an attitude of prayer. But I've come tonight just with a simple truth and tried to talk to us about some assurances, some shelters, some safety places, 
Something that will hold us in the storm. Some anchors, if you please. You're in the midst of a situation tonight that you'd characterize as pressure. You may just want to come and just say, Lord, I bring that to you. You may just want to new and afresh, just commit it to him. It's amazing sometimes when in the midst of those pressures, we think maybe it's committed. That one I made reference to as he really began to speak to my heart. I saw an area that I was still struggling with and trying to make it on my own. Like those fellows, still they, they were rolling so hard trying to get through that storm. And when he began to show me that, oh, how I was struggling, trying my best to solve a problem, trying my best to get through that situation. And when he showed me that it was futile, when he showed me that I wasn't capable, I cried out to him. I can't tell you how he came to me. I can't tell you what he did. I'm grateful. I shall forever be grateful how he came to me. That, and not just that time. That's just one of the times. And any of you that's been saved in length of time, you could stand tonight and you could give a word of testimony how he's come to you in some difficult times. How he helped you through some of those those dark hours. In this room tonight, there's folks here already talking to him. You're here without Christ tonight. Think seriously about your need of him. Oh, I tell you, I recommend Jesus to you. Don't leave without him if you're not sure you're saved. We're not asking you to join a church tonight. We're asking you just to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I recommend this good church. If I was around here and you'd have me, I, I tell you, I, I have that kind of respect for your pastor and his family. I would count it a privilege to sit under his ministry. So I recommend this good church. And I tell you tonight, first you need Jesus. You need to know for sure you've received what he did for you at the cross. And put your faith in him personally. You're away from God, come back to him tonight. You're here and just with a a, a, a storm situation. You just need to, you need to just acknowledge him in the midst of your trial. Cast your care on him tonight. I'm going to pray. We'll stand. We'll have a verse of song. I'll ask Brother Eddie if he'll take the service in a moment. Would you stand with me, please, with our heads bowed? Don't miss God tonight. Our Father, I pray you make it easy for us to do what you're telling us to do. Someone needs to be saved in this room. Please save them tonight. Someone away from God, bring them back. Somebody with a special need, I pray that before they leave this room, that need will be cast on you tonight. That care will be brought to you. And we'll bless you for it. Lord, we're grateful for blessed truths like this. We can put our weary heads on and find some rest in the time of storm. We're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. We're singing tonight as we sing tonight. The pastor's here. Don't miss God. While we wait. The pastor's here waiting on you. Would you come? Don't miss him tonight. Oh, how you need him tonight. Don't miss him. Come and receive Jesus tonight. You're here away from him. Come back to him. You're here tonight and you just want to bring your burden to him, your care to him. You just want to come and ask him to help you in the midst of the storm while we wait. Come on. God's talking. Don't miss him tonight. But there he has the service. Don't miss God tonight.